does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. It is the Fan Midday Show. We're still on the air. Uh, can't say the same for our brethren in Edmonton. I just saw this coming across. Uh, there was the AM sports radio station in Edmonton. In the middle of their mid-show, they announced that the entire place was getting cut. The ent- oh. entire <laughs> thing was getting shut down. 1,300 positions. Like In the middle, mid-show, someone came in and said, hey, look, we're pulling the plug. This thing is over. Everybody go home. Was there a send off or was it? Just I don't know. I don't know. I just, break, I, just hey, saw the, I just saw the headline on awful announcing, um, which I laugh at. This is your guys' job and I have a job too. And you know what? Every day I wonder if I'm going to get fired because you just never know what you might say. And most of the time when I work with our next guest, sometimes we walk it up to the line and we wonder if this is the last day that we ever have a show. He is on Sirius XM PGA Tour Radio. It's U.S. Open Radio this week on Sirius XM. I'll be part of the early coverage tomorrow. He is in L.A. and also part of the Action Network. My buddy Jason Sobel joins the program. Hey, Sobes. You know, Will, when nobody's listening, you can say whatever you want and you don't get fired. That's That's true. So you're saying from two to four daily, like next week when you and I are co-hosting together that no one will be listening and we can say whatever we want post this U.S. Open? That's exactly what I'm saying. Look, if I can do a show with Michael Collins, I don't know what, 60% of the time, then and you know where I'm going with that, then uh, you'll be just fine. I'd like to think that this is going to be an informed conversation today, Jason. You've been out there for a couple of days. I just, I don't know. I know that you and I were texting last week. You have a feeling on what this course lends itself to. Has that changed at all since you've been there? Because this is such a unique U.S. Open venue, a unique time of year to be playing in Los Angeles. It's a redone golf course. I, I still can't really wrap my head around who I think has an edge this week outside of the typical U.S. Open type of venues. Yeah, after walking around here a couple times, first of all, I love this place. This is going to, uh, I hope, show out on TV because in person, uh, this place is really cool. It's rustic. It's natural. It looks like, you know, sometimes a a golf course will look like, well, they made this into a beautiful golf course. And uh, it looks a little artificial, you know, the the blue dye in the water and making the grass a little bit greener, you know, overwater it a little bit. Uh, This place looks like when, when the earth first uh, you know, uh, first uh, uh, started. It, it looked like there there would have been a golf course right here. It just looks like it's like part of the the territory, part of the property that you know was just meant to be here. And so, in any case, I, I think it's going to be a really fun open. All of that said, I, I'm sort of pot committed on my opinion here this week, Will, and that's um, you know, and I've heard from a lot of people saying, well, it's over 7,400 yards. It's only a par 70. We've got a 290-yard par 3. It's going to be really, really long. Only the longest hitters have a chance. I'm walking around out here, and the grass is very firm. Uh, you know, I, I think balls are going to roll. It's going to, we're not going to get any sort of uh, rain whatsoever for the next five days. And so uh, I think you're going to see a fast, firm golf course, especially by the weekend, which negates the advantage that the longer players have. And so I'm looking for, and again, pot committed on this, and it could change, but I am looking for creative players. You're going to have a lot of uh, uh, different lies than you normally do, side hill lies, downhill lies. You're going to have interesting uh, pitch shots out of the rough. You're going to have uh, just like little uh, nuanced plays around the greens. And so I'm looking for the guys who are most artistic, so to speak, with their games, most creative, and those are the guys that I'm banking on this week. Jason, what's more likely to happen? Phil Mickelson misses the cut or has a top 20 finish? I would say, based on the betting numbers, missing the cut is more likely, but I actually kind of like Phil this week. I kind of like a bunch of the live players this week. I feel like they've been freed up. Brooks Kepka has been walking around major championships for the last half decade looking like a sourpuss. Everyone's like, man, this is going to be a great week. And Brooks like, oh, man, i got to go play golf. Everyone now is walking around like, man, i got to answer all these questions. This is terrible. Brooks is walking around with a big smile on his face in his press conference yesterday with, hey, see all the travelers next week. Uh, just stir the pot a little bit. I, I think the live players, uh, have, you know, they've had something to prove for the last year and a half, but I think 
even more so now that they may be integrated back into PGA Tour life in the not-too-distant future. Uh, on In general, I like the live players. I don't know about Phil, but you talk about creative players. I mean, Phil's been the most creative player on the planet for the last 25 years, and that may not be the case anymore. But certainly, I think this should fit his vibe a little bit. I'm going to provide the caveat here for our audience. I'm not going to ask Jason any questions about PGA Tour, Piff, any of this, because he, like me, have been asked these questions a thousand times. We just don't know. We don't know anything. There's nothing right. There's nothing further we can add. We don't know anything beyond last week. We were probably all a little bit too speculative last week as well. And we ended up having the greatest finish to a golf tournament on Sunday. And I'm hoping that this week also provides us with a great golf story to take away from the distraction that there is. So I dive back in, Jason, to talk about this week and the primetime finish and this golf course. Um, it is... Is it too simple for me to look at the last really hard test? We've had two really hard tests of golf over the last month. The PGA Championship up in Rochester and then the Memorial Tournament in Dublin a couple of weeks ago. Is it too simple for me to look at those? I think the PGA Championship resembled a traditional U.S. Open, whereas I felt the Memorial resembled just a really, really good all-around super, super hard test of golf. And my eyes are just looking at the top 10 of that leaderboard, and I'm like, "Mm, yeah, Victor Hovland, Mm, yeah, Denny McCarthy, good value. Mm, Siwoo Kim, 90 to 1, pretty good value for a guy with bad U.S. Open. It's like if someone is listening right now, they're like, who do I want to bet on this week for the U.S. Open? I'm like, you know what? Just roll out three or four famous names you know from Liv who have won majors and then look at the top 10 for Memorial. I'm almost just like, that's just my, my stock answer at this point in time. Yeah. I look, you could go, uh, you get a lot more wrong than doing that because I, I think you're on the right track there. I, I don't know that you necessarily needed to be on the leaderboard at the Memorial a couple of weeks ago, but I also feel like this is not the place where, if you're out of form, you're going to show up here in L.A. and figure it out and find it. Like I, I, Justin Thomas, who, uh, look, his number has gotten way up there in the betting markets. I mean, can you imagine? 50, 60, Tommy right? Fleetwood. Yeah. Tommy Fleetwood has a shorter number than Justin Thomas. Yeah. Bryce DeChambeau, Hideki Matsuyama, they have shorter numbers in the betting market than Justin Thomas. Yet, I don't want to touch Justin Thomas because he hasn't been in good form, and I don't think you can show up on this golf course and figure out your form. All that said, I do think that strokes gain luck is going to play a big factor mm-hmm. in this one. Uh, you know, there, there's some, you're going to get some gnarly lies, you're going to get some very good looking lies. And uh, you can have a ball, and this is very typical of the U.S. Open because they want players to think about every single shot. The, the last thing the USGA wants is for a player to be walking down the fairway and say to his caddy, hey, hand me the pitching wedge. I'm sure it's going to be a pitching wedge. Stock shot here. There will be no stock shots, no standard shots this week. You're going to hear a lot of players essentially do what Jordan Spieth and Michael Greller do on a regular basis, which is spend five minutes talking about every single shot because there's so many different ways to play them and so many uh, different potential outcomes from them as well. And so I I do think that luck is going to play a big part, and that could uh, you know, certainly up the variance level a little bit. But, yeah, the players who are playing well, I mean, that's – that's usually a pretty good barometer for where you want to start with uh, making picks for a major championship. Jason, all that said, whether it's outright winner, whether it's top 10, top 20, what are your favorite bets or what action do you do you like the most heading into the U.S. Open? Yeah, so I've got essentially two favorite outrights. Instead of having one, two on my list, I've got a 1A, 1B. And I talked about that creativity, that artistry that you need around this golf course. In my mind, the two most creative golfers on the planet right now as far as visualizing shots, as far as trying to pull off uh, up and downs that most other players wouldn't even dream of, are Cameron Smith and Jordan Spieth. And so uh, I like each of those to, jo- those guys to be right there at the end of the thing. I think this course is going to play into their hands uh, very nicely. If you're looking for some long shots further down the board uh, that have a chance of winning, and again, long shots in golf, for those people who are uh, looking at the betting odds this week and saying, well, you know, can these guys really win? Uh, there's two different types of long shots. See, they're a long shot who has a massive ceiling and could have a, a spike week and win a major championship. Or it's a long shot who, well, he's not going to win, but you can take him for a top 10, top 20. I'll, I'll give you three names here. Patrick Reed, Siwoo Kim are two guys who have yeah. shown 
uh, those ceilings in big time events. They're each at around eighty to one in the books right now, which I think is a really good number. And I'll tell you, Ryan Fox is playing some very nice golf on the PGA Tour. I've got a very good feeling about him on this golf course. I don't know that he can win at around one hundred and thirty to one, but for a top ten play, I think he makes a, a lot of sense. Yeah, big hitting. Ryan Fox. We're talking to Jason Sobel, U.S. Open Radio on Sirius XM and of the Action Network. Back-to-back years, we have had a European win this championship. After six straight years, it was a U.S. champion. And if I'm on uh, DraftKings right now, plus 105 that there will not be a winner from the United States, uh, I kind of I feel like this is a weak a tournament because of all the things you've mentioned the creativity, the shot making, that it kind of lends itself to a scrappier all around sort of European player. In addition to the fact that you've got a number of Englishmen and a few other folks from around the globe that are playing really good golf right now, I I kind of like a non U.S. winner this week. Yeah, I mean, look, Cameron Smith's at the top of my list, so I would take non U.S. in that. You know, certainly. Uh, some U.S. players who are playing well, Scotty Scheffler and uh, Brooks Kepka among them. And I mentioned I, I, Kepka's the one that I keep coming back to where it's like, uh, how many times are we going to get fooled when we show up in a major championship yeah. and we spend three days trying to figure out, like, well, it kind of plays towards these players and you got to do this well and maybe this guy's going to show up this week. He's a nice long shot. And then at the end of the week, we're like, what, why were we wasting all our time? It's Brooks Kepka. He's the best player in the majors, and he goes out and he wins these things. Yeah. I mean, at some point, the paralysis by analysis that you hear on the golf course can happen on the radio and in TV as well. And all of us spend way too much time trying to figure this stuff out when the easiest answer, the Occam's Razor answer is uh, Brooks Kepka, just because he's really good at majors and he wins these things. So, uh, you know, that's a very long-winded way of saying, uh, yeah, I'm probably staying away from the plus 105 bet there. Okay. What's the pulse on Colin Morikawa this week? Uh, so he spoke yesterday. I know that, and for those who uh, don't have the background there, two weeks ago he was two shots off the lead going into the final round of the Memorial Tournament, had back spasms, was forced to withdraw. Said yesterday he was very disappointed with that, but uh, he's done a lot of work. He said, it's going to look a little weird when I'm teeing up my ball this week. Uh, you're going to think that I'm hurting. I'm just doing it a certain way to protect. Huh. And other than <laughs> I'm feeling great. Uh, you're not buying it? I'm not buying it. Oh. Are you buying it? <laughs> yeah, I'm buying it. Do you, I don't know. You bet a, do you, would you ever bet a guy who is awkwardly teeing up his ball? <laughs> Non-Tiger Woods division. Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess not. Yeah, uh, yeah I. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I don't know. I mean, it's... Colin doesn't look like a guy who – I don't think he has it in him to tell a little fib to, to, the, to the general public. But, yeah, it's a fine point. I mean, look, I'm, I'm not betting. I'm not putting my money on Colin this week, but I, I do think that he's healthy enough to go out there and play. I don't think he's going to withdraw in the middle of this with more back spasms. So, you know, I think that he's, he's taking all the precautionary measures he needs to. I'll get you out of here on this one. Jason, we're talking to Jason Sobel, U.S. Open Radio on Sirius XM, and of the Action Network. Uh, let's get it even away from the betting a little bit. What are you most curious about this week? What's a what's a question about this golf tournament, this field, this course, whatever that you hope is answered on Sunday night? I mean, really, I want to just see this course in uh, you know in the spotlights. We're in the hills of uh, Beverly Hills, in the foothills of, uh, of of Hollywood, and and I think this golf course is going to be the star all the the golfers themselves are going to be the supporting cast but uh the course is going to be the superstar of the show and I, I just can't wait to see it how it performs how it reacts on on this stage walking around i'm like i, I mean we walked i was with uh two former pga tour players who are now in the media and we were walking uh about 30 yards in front of the first team we all turned around we're like whoa wait that's the first key right there it's uh, it's a lot of very sort of I won't call it awkward, but at least unique um, places where, you know, the, the first teeing ground is right next to the clubhouse. And, uh, you know, there's, there's tee box in place where you're like, you know, it's right next to the green where, uh, where we just walked off. It's, there's a lot of unique stuff going on here. Again, I hope it shows out on TV, but I think the course could be a huge superstar by the end of the week. It will host the U.S. Open again in 16 years, but sort of enjoy it this Can't week. Wait. 
Um, <laughs> because, well, we have U.S. Open dates scheduled all the way out to 2051, in case anybody wants to know where that is. But between now and the next time we're in L.A., it's kind of that new road to Pinehurst, Oakmont, Shinnecock, Pebble, Winged Foot, Marion. Like a, some of the golf courses that sort of look the same. And so I, I think, Jason, I hope a lot of casual fans this week tune in because it will look and feel very, very unique. And, of course, for those of us here in the Eastern Time Zone, nothing better than primetime golf, especially when you have the free pass dad's out there on father's day so enjoy it jason exactly. thanks for the time buddy appreciate it thanks i've got charlie woods the 2039 us open with sammy speed to be a low amateur there you go thank you for that so all right <laughs> if he, gosh charlie will be he'll be pushing 30 by that oh my it's just crazy whatever um it's amazing how far they have it out that's jason sobel um when we're done today at three you can catch the second hour of his show over on sirius xm if you want to hear the rest of his prognostications whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. One hour in, two hours to go here on the Fan Midday Show from the DriveHewler.com studios. He's Jimmy Cook. He's also Eddie Garrison. Let's bring your son to work day today. You guys didn't get the memo on bring your daughter to work day and also didn't get the memo and bring your son to work day so all right maybe next time we'll figure this uh, we'll figure this whole thing out the Colts, in a couple years okay all right there you go the Colts are trying to figure out what this roster is going to look like midway through this mandatory summer mini camp to talk about that and all things the shoe front of the program Casey Valley radio coordinator in-game studio host for the Colts is with us Casey I'm going to lead off this question with a familiar one that I've had what was the most curious thing you wanted to learn from this week, getting everybody together? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I honestly haven't even thought about that. Um, uh, I, I think it's just, it, for us, you know, it's mandatory for, for the guys to be here, and throughout it's been really good participation. We haven't really seen anybody missing, so I think it was just another week of just building on, you know, everything new. I mean, with a new head coach and essentially an entirely new offensive staff, you just want to kind of keep putting on additional reps. You want to see all of that. So, honestly, this week hasn't been much different from what we've seen the last previous weeks. So it's kind of hard, I think, to really judge on what I was expecting um, or what I wanted to see or what I was – I think ultimately it was just kind of another week before everybody leaves. And if you think about it, I mean, take a – you take a five to six week hiatus you know, away from the complex, and then when you get back, it's camp, and all of a sudden you got games coming up real soon. So it's just more and more repetition with the guys is ultimately what I was hoping to see this week for sure. Casey, you and JJ Stankovitz had a piece on Colts.com regarding an offensive notebook, things starting to slow down for Anthony Richardson. You dive into Shane Steichen and how things are the same, or if he's the same person as he was in Philadelphia, and you highlight Kenny Moore as well. Focusing on Richardson for just a second, uh, in one of the quotes that you guys had had from him, he mentions that at this speed now where things are at, he could see guys flying around, but then all of a sudden he looked right and he has a defensive end right on his tail. That's a different change of pace for him than at the previous level that's something that he's going to have to get used to in general if he ends up being the starter week one week six whatever but from your observation and how he's sharing what he's reading and how he's sharing his process and what you've seen in your availability is he about where you'd like him to be or where you would have expected him to be in these early going checkpoints of the offseason yeah, really. I, I think absolutely he's right there. I think mainly just listening to him yesterday, the first time we've heard him talk since he was here for rookie minicamp, um, I just feel like everything he's saying, he truly means. And I don't I don't know if that's, you know, us just drinking the Kool-Aid or all that, but I just feel like when he talks, he, it's all with a purpose. And that is one thing that I've been very impressed with, you know, talking to, you know, some of the staff, some of the players, everybody's saying the same things about him. So when he's talking about things are starting to slow down, he's got Gardner Minshew in his back pocket kind of helping him get through everything. I truly truly believe all of that stuff. And I think he's just, not only is he saying all the right things, I think he's doing the right stuff. So, you know, everybody wants to say, especially in June, that's where you want to be. Um, But I would think that right now he is right where he wants to be, right where the team wants him to be. I know he's ready to kind of take that next step to kind of, you know, learn this and learn that. And it is one of those things you got to remember. He's a rookie. He has been an NFL quarterback without taking a, a true snap 
for a matter of, you know, a month and a half. So it's a process, and you got to, you know, understand it from that aspect. But I think to this point, he's right where he needs to be and right where this team wants him to be. Now, a lot more questions are going to start coming up when August rolls around and you're out there at training camp kind of seeing – you know, where he's taking snaps is it with the ones with twos and all of that stuff. So there'll be a lot more question marks when that comes around because you're looking at these guys every single day. But I think right now he's right where you need him to be. Casey, you mentioned that kind of lockstep of everybody you know, saying the right things and being there. And I led the show. Jimmy and I were sort of talking about how this is not a negative, but I don't feel like this week particularly is – like of I need to read every piece of content about what's going on at the Colts complex. I think we're sort of just oh, come waiting. On, man, I, I know, I know. It's just I'm, I'm just saying. Like I think I'm saying that in a good way. I, I feel like in right. years past we wanted to know like how are guys gelling? What's going on here? Is this the piece? Like is are they? We were sort of anticipating as fans like this is this is it. Like we're going to learn so much from this summer because we want this season. Whereas right now I feel like we're very comfortable with what this roster is and what this team is from just a, a smooth vibe? Does it feel like that inside, you know, sort of the doors of like, yeah, everybody's just kind of laid back and, and having a good time with it. And there isn't this sort of heightened level of anticipation. I think 100%. I'm, I think that's really well put because that's one of the things that I think I was in that other boat, you know, leaning into it. You think about all the change-ups. you know, you got a new coach, new offensive staff, new quarterback, a lot of new pieces, so I thought there would be a lot more question marks, a lot more. We've got to pay attention to every single snap and all of that. But you go out and you watch practice, and everybody's just – it seems like everybody's getting along, everybody's having a good time, and you just kind of take a deep breath and you go, hey, I think we're right where we need to be. I think there's a lot of questions that we're all going to have, but I think that's a great way to put it as you play. It's, it's one of those things where, yeah, you aren't, you aren't paying that close attention to everything just because you're not really sure on a lot of things, and that's yeah. kind of a good feeling, to be honest, if that makes sense. It does. Casey, is there a sense or just an overall, I don't know, I don't want to say happy, but but a, a proud sense for where the Colts are at right now in terms of the way they constructed the quarterback room and bringing in Minshew? And I know they're all saying all the right things right now, but is there a sense of relief and confidence knowing that there appears to be a real connection with Gardner Minshew and Anthony Richardson to the point that regardless of which one ends up being the week one starter, that they are very much going to bat for each other right now, at least in the early goings of the offseason? Oh, 100%. It's one of those things where you can never really know. I'm sure uh, you know Shane Steichen has been with Gardner Minshew the last couple of years, so he knew him as a player and as a person a lot more than we did here. But it's one of those things where – these guys are competitors. Everybody wants to play. You know, I mean, that you don't come to a place and just be like, you know what, I'm good to just be a backup and do this. Gardner Minshew wants to come in here and play, but he also just has this different mentality, which it's very different when you think about just the quarterbacks throughout the league. A lot of guys, I mean, you see guys that they're starters, and that's it. And, and, and if they're not, then, they're, you know, they're Cam Newtons. They're, you, they're, there's a lot of that in the NFL. But ultimately, one of the things the Colts have here with Sam Ellinger, with Gardner Minshew, and definitely with Anthony Richardson, who they're all three kind of like best friends. Like, they hang out together. They do all this stuff. They're trying to make each other better. And Gardner said it yesterday. He said, you know, look, at the end of the day, I'm here with two other guys. We're trying to win for this team. So whoever's taking the snaps out there, we've got to be supportive. We've got to do everything we can to get them ready and in the best position to win. And I truly think that that's the way he feels. So a guy like Gardner Minshew is a perfect guy to be here to help Anthony move along. Gardner, I mean, as you remember, as a rookie, was thrust into a position in Jacksonville where he shined. So he has been there where – Ultimately, it was kind of the opposite. There wasn't any expectations, but he was able to break a lot of those. So he can kind of bridge that gap. And I really think that these guys, they're really, they're really pulling for each other. It's, it's a really interesting dynamic to watch. Like you watch the quarterbacks. They truly are just having a lot of fun out there. Casey Vallier, radio side for the Indianapolis Colts, joining us here on the Fan Midday Show. I'm going to switch gears a little bit. This is a week where you're seeing a lot of players developing relationships with either existing or new coaches. You walk into the building, Casey, you watch the practices. Which coach would inspire you most to run through a wall? Oh, man, that's really hard. Uh, I mean, Tony Sperano Jr., there's something about him that just – 
it's kind of geared up this whole offensive line. And I, there's something about him that kind of makes me want to run through a wall, which it's fitting because of the position. You know, he's the offensive line coach, so it makes sense. But he's just – he brings this different aura about him that you really – it resonates. Uh, we've talked to the offensive line, and they're not at all saying that it was a voice that was needed change, but that they have really responded very well to Tony Sperano Jr.'s voice and the way he's viewing this offensive line group. And ultimately, if you ask me, I think this is the line. This is a group that's going to take the biggest leap from what we saw last year. There was, you know, there were issues all throughout the line. You know, I mean, they gave up almost the most sacks in, in Colts history last year. But I really think that the core is there and that they can take a big step. And I think Tony Sperano Jr. is definitely going to help that. And he's got some great lineage. I mean, his dad was a great coach for a long time. But if you just meet this guy, I mean, he, he kind of looks like an offensive lineman. So I, I wouldn't be – he's one of those guys that he could put on pads and you would say, oh, yeah, he's your starting right guard because it just makes sense. So I'm not shocked at all that the guys are responding. But I know me, every conversation I've had with him, I'm ready to run through a wall for sure. Casey Valier, the Colts Radio Network, with us here on the Fan Midday Show. Casey, we talked a little bit earlier in the week on extensions for – potential players, in particular Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman Jr. I want to stay with Pitt just for this portion of the conversation. We've joked that, is there really been a fair barometer for the receiver room when the quarterback play has been so bad over the last couple of years? Has the quarterback or has the wide receiver room, rather, really reached its ceiling? How much of that will go into the evaluation process of, well, we're not really ready to rush anything with our wide receivers because we want to make sure that they gel well with in theory, our franchise quarterback and Anthony Richardson, there's no sense in throwing a ton of money if there's not true chemistry or a true pathway with Richardson and Pittman Jr. running side-by-side side together. Uh, I think 100%. I think everybody would agree that last year the offense was, I mean, in, in the nicest way, it was kind of broken. So it's really hard to kind of judge what the stats and the numbers that were put up in 2022 were now. I'm sure if you talk to Michael Pittman Jr., he's one of those guys that he's a team-first guy, and he will tell you that he didn't do his job to make the offense better. He says all the things you want him to say. But ultimately, I think everybody else can look at it and say there were a lot of moving pieces and a lot of moving parts that made the offense what it was, and it was a struggle last year. Um, And he didn't really take that next step that everybody wanted him to, but I think there was a lot of question marks as we talk about into that. So I would 100% think that that has to come into play. You can't just look at him from a stat line and say, oh, well, he's not deserving because there were a lot of things that contributed into those stats. And I think ultimately this year, it's going to be a big barometer for a lot of guys, but definitely in that receiver room and I think that tight end room where you're really going to see what you have in both those spots. We were talking about tight end, Casey, earlier on in the program. There are a lot of bodies, uh, granted some of them aren't healthy enough to participate fully in the minicamp this week. Is there any more position? Is there another position group that's as competitive as that one in the Colts locker room? Man, that's a really good question. I mean, that's one of them that I'm going to definitely have my eyes on just because of a production standpoint. You know what you have in Jelani Woods, a guy who you're expecting to take that next step in his second year. You've got Moali Cox, who has a lot of experience. Drew Ogletree last year during camp was the darling of August until he tore his ACL, and he looked like he was going to have a pretty good impact on this offense. And then you sign a guy like Farrell Brown, who's played a lot of football in the NFL, and the guy you haven't been talking really about was, you know, where is Kylan Granson going to be? Yet he has probably been the best tight end through this point in the spring. And the Colts drafted a guy in Will Mallory. So there are a lot of bodies. You are not wrong there. There are a lot of bodies fighting for ultimately three, maybe four spots. So it's going to be definitely one I'm going to watch. And if you look at it from just a roster view on where the, the biggest battles are going to be, I think definitely tight end. And then I'm going to continue to talk about corner just because of you, you get rid of Brandon Faison or you, you see him go in agency, you trade Stephon Gilmore, you bring in three rookies, but there's a lot of uncertainty at corner. So that's another spot that I'm definitely going to pay attention to when August comes around, but definitely tied in. It's a lot of bodies fighting for some, you know, very small when it comes to numbers that you keep when that 53 man is set. Casey with Jonathan Taylor and his status from just the perspective of, you know, he's coming off the ankle injury and there's no real question marks there. We talked about it a little bit earlier in the show that we're not feeling this sense of 
there's no really sense of dread or anticipation this week other than the anticipation for training camp. When you look at JT specifically, would it worry you at all if he's not out in some form when training camp begins? Or is this part of the process of just, hey, there's no reason to rush him back when he's ready, he's going to be ready? No, see, I, I wouldn't be worried just because you know what you have. And we saw last year, now he had some, some other injuries that, that really nagged him throughout the season. But last year he didn't participate super often in camp. I thought last year he kind of had a little bit more of that veteran type of camp. And when he was healthy, I think he was still Jonathan Taylor. So I'm not that worried had Jonathan Taylor, you know, if he comes into camp and he's not ready to go. Now there are some question marks like there there are some, I would say kind of just you put stars on the calendar. And I think those joint practices, you'd really like to see him compete in those just because it's going to give him the best preparation for what he's going to say when, when game day rolls around. But ultimately, I don't think you're that worried just because you know what you have in JT. Ultimately, everybody else in the offense is going to make him better if they can hold up their end of the bargain because you know what Taylor can do. So a healthy Taylor goes a lot more than rushing him out there if he's not fully ready to go. Now, I would assume, now I am not, I am not in there talking to him and all of that stuff, but I would assume if the Colts played a game on Sunday, he would be suiting up. So I don't think this ankle is anything to be super concerned about. Now, you know, we'll see what happens in August. We'll see where he is. But I'm assuming that right now it's all very, you know, just being safe, being cautious with the reason he's not out there right now. But I would assume when, when camp rolls around, you'll get more, you know, more, you'll answer that question a little bit more, I don't know, concretely and you'll really see whether or not he's going to be out there, but I wouldn't be too worried if, you know, day one of camp, Jonathan Taylor's not out there. Talked about a lot of the growth that needs to happen in some of the various position rooms, certainly new coaching staff. It's easy to look back on this season when it's done, and we're going to quantify in wins and losses what the coaching change did. That's the easiest form of measurement. But when we look at it maybe from a more, I guess, subjective standpoint, do you think, Casey, that it will be – the scheme improvement that a new staff brings in, or will it be the energy sort of attitude improvement that's going to have the biggest impact on this team this year? Oh, man, that's good. Um, I think ultimately it's going to be the scheme because I think you've already seen that energy and attitude to this point, which is expected. you got a new voice, something new. Everybody, it's kind of like you know that first day of school in a way, if you will, right now is the vibe that you're kind of seeing within this, within this locker room. Um, but I think the scheme is going to be huge because I think – one of the things we have noticed about Shane Steichen is he likes to do a lot of different things with a lot of different players. Um, and you're seeing that, especially in the wide receiver room. It, it, there's a lot of guys there, but there's a lot of guys that have a different skill set. So that's kind of the thing that I'm looking at, especially from an offensive standpoint, because with Gus Bradley and that defense essentially staying the same, you're not going to have a different scheme. So it should look about the same. Now, hopefully you can add Shaquille Leonard into that mix, which should change up that defense a little bit. But offensively, the, the scheme, I think, is all ultimately going to be what you're going to judge it on but it's going to be hard because at the end of the day you're you're trying to progress a rookie quarterback into the NFL and it's hard to judge him after one year ultimately a guy like Anthony Richardson with his little playing in at Florida it's going to be a learning curve so it's going to be really hard to just say all oh, the scheme doesn't work but I do think ultimately that is going to be the biggest thing that you're going to judge this season on. Casey, you might not know the answer to this. Casey Vallier with us of the Colts Radio Network, but I've always been fascinated by it. The team meetings and mini camps, everything stop and, and go to bed these next couple of weeks, and we wait anxiously for training camp to arrive. But you see this all the time. I'm sure it happened well before this. This isn't a new thing for quarterbacks, but you see it more publicly now with social media and Anthony Richardson or Patrick Mahomes mentioning it in press conferences. Yeah, we're going to get together. We're going to go down to Florida. We're going to meet up and we're going to do more work with our wide receivers. How involved or maybe not involved is the right word, but how does the team monitor, if at all, that aspect of it? Because I'm sure on the one hand, they like the continuity of it, but also I always think to myself, man, I mean, you'd hate for <laughs> you'd hate for any injuries or anything to happen when t- teams are getting an extra reps that can be beneficial, but have a risk-reward factor to them. 100%. I mean, ultimately, you know, the team, they're on board with these guys going off and training because that's ultimately what they're telling them to do. You know, get some time away. But when you report to camp to be ready to go, because things really jumpstart, they go really, really fast. I mean, as you know, Jimmy, you report to camp and all of a sudden you blink and you're in week five. And it's like, what just happened? So you, you, they're, 
there is that line where they're going to be training. So ultimately, these guys are probably going to be doing what they would typically be doing training. They're just going to be doing it with their teammates. So I think that's kind of the balance that you have. Um, but 100%, it's a, it's a great thing to see these guys getting together. And I mean, because I mean, we're watching it out here. You know, you don't have Michael Pittman. You don't have Jelani Woods. You don't have Mallory. You don't have Jonathan Taylor out here taking the reps. Alec Pierce has missed some time. Josh Downs has missed some time. So building that chemistry is huge. So ultimately, that is where you want to be able to say that you took you took reps before you reported to training camp because there's a lot of – you got to know each other. And that that is – you know, when you look at – I mean, I I go back to your team all the time here, Jimmy, with the Chiefs. You see Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey, and it's almost like they're playing backyard football just because they just know each other so well. And that is so important, getting that camaraderie and knowing kind of every step that your guys are making. That's kind of why it's so important to make sure you do this. But I'm sure there is a team aspect that you are kind of monitoring it. You're you're looking at what those workouts are going to look like so you can say, hey, maybe we don't do this. Let's gear it more towards that. Sure. Casey, we've heard Anthony Richardson say the plan is to try and get together with some receivers between now and training camp to just sort of continue to get on the same page and throw and have those reps. And I'm curious, kind of building off of what you just described there, how much of that is – does that fully fall – on the hands of you know players and agents sort of working that out it's uh, there's nothing mandatory about it it's just sort of being a good teammate type of thing like I, I don't know if that's a question that's easy to answer but like what goes into that like hey man you just want to get together and throw it because we think back to you know Peyton Manning and Marvin Harrison would spend so much time together even as veterans right. just working through the offseason it was just something that was ingrained in their work ethic which is why the interview process in the pre-draft process is so important to some of these teams to kind of understand how these guys are going to tick and work but uh, you know how does that kind of come together is it just sort of organic or are there kind of little hints here and they're like hey maybe you guys should get together i think honestly it's probably a mixture of both um i I think michael i think michael like let's say michael Pittman jr for example i think for him to have the most success the quarterbacks have to be successful too so it kind of works twofold in order to really have a year for for you that you want to you know i mean you're going into a contract year so you want to be able to put you know, that paper down and say, hey, look what I did here in 2023. You have to have that chemistry with the quarterback. So I think it's, I think what you said when you think about the process of drafting these guys and getting to know who they are or when you're signing free agents, you want them all to kind of have that mentality. I think that's where it comes into play big time because, you know, you might have guys that say, you know, I'm only here for this and I ain't going to work with anybody except for my trainers and all of that stuff outside of it. So it is, I think, a give and take. But I think ultimately it's probably more just, hey, you know, I'm going to just reach out to you in a couple weeks. you mind just getting together? I think that's kind of the way that it goes. But it is one of those things I'm sure the team really highly encourages it because, you know, you brought up two of the guys who are pillars on the outside of this building with Peyton Manning and Marvin Harrison. They did this their entire careers. And in order to be able to hoist a Lombardi and do all of that stuff, that's kind of the stuff that comes with it. So I'm sure that is something that they're kind of throwing in their ears like, hey, if you don't want to do this, that's fine. But just remember, this is our standard, and this is what they did. So it's it's easy to kind of give that as a fallback of, hey, this is how you get to that point. Casey, last thing on my end, I'm not going to dive into the weeds of the Isaiah Rogers situation, but obviously the likelihood of him being gone for a very long time in terms of what that league would pan down to him when a suspension in all likelihood takes place complicates things in terms of maybe the plan... Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. ...or the pathway for what was going to happen at cornerback with this team. It takes one corner off the board in terms of a contract year for him, and Kenny Moore's the the lone guy in that particular boat but when you look at what Moore brings the veteran, but also knowing that, okay, maybe now we're left with two choices, let the rookie cornerbacks we drafted get some run or potentially bring in another veteran. If it was me, I'd like to have that answer of bringing a veteran done before training camp. Colts might not feel that way, but is there a, once you've hit the train track, so to speak, you've gone too far moment for this team in terms of when they could bring in a veteran corner? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I mean, it, it's a lot of it, people are asking that question every single day, and it's understandable. Ultimately, I mean, if you think about what this team did in the draft, they addressed 
corner very highly. I know they maybe not outside of, you know, Juju Brents with their second round pick. He used a, a couple fifth round picks on some corners, which, you know, that is what it is. But ultimately, I think they realized there was a need. They had to find a little bit more stability in that room because especially with Kenny Moore, this is this is the end of his contract this year. So there are a lot of question marks when you think about the future at corner. So guys like Dallas Flowers and, and Daryl Baker Jr., who have gotten a lot of run at this point with Kenny Moore, and especially with Juju Brents, there's going to be a lot asked of him. So I wouldn't be surprised if there is a veteran move made. And that's one of those things that when you look at it, the time frame here in June, you don't have to make a decision right now just because these guys are probably where they, the, the corners that are available, there's probably a reason they're available right now. They're probably knowing that I'm going to get signed in camp or it's one of those things that when the season rolls around. So I don't think you have to make a fast move right now. Um, but I do think you've got a lot of youth that you kind of have to figure out. So I don't know if there's really that concrete answer where you know what you're going to do, and it may not be one of those things that you know early on. So it's a very slippery slope on whether or not you bring in a veteran. I think ultimately if you bring a veteran in, it's just to add depth. I don't think you're bringing somebody in here to really – ask them to be a starter when week one rolls around. So I think that's where you are. You look at it as we don't necessarily need a week one starter. So we're just kind of wait, let the waters kind of do what they do when August rolls around and then make a move if you need it. Casey Vallier, we'll hear him all fall long on the Colts radio broadcast. Casey, thanks for the time. Uh, I promise I'll read as much content as possible today and tomorrow. Well, I, I appreciate promise. it. And, Will, I know you're probably as busy as anybody with all this golf stuff going around. Man, your your world's been a little a little off, huh? I have no idea what Something you're talking happened? about. I, don't I have no idea what you're, no <laughs> idea what you're you talking about. You don't know about. any of this? No, no. Sorry, I'll have to, I'll have to Google that as well. Man. Thanks, oh. Casey. Appreciate you. Thank you, guys. Appreciate thanks, Casey. it. That's Casey Vallier. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. In the DriveHubler.com studio, final hour here on the Midday Show. Jimmy Cook, Will Haskett with you. Eddie Garrison here. My son Hudson here as well. We'll get a th- thoughts on drink of choice coming up later in this hour he's got two wins today already yeah he's just cruising on whatever that new baseball game is on the phone over there he's winning more games than my cubs seem to be here in the month of june all right it is eight days from now all of our off-season questions will be answered yes the hype is real we will arrive at nba draft night will the pacers pick at seven will they move up who will they pick all of these questions lingering in my brain so i'm excited to talk with our next guest you know him from setting the pace and all of his great pacers coverage he's alex golden hi alex how are you Hey, Will. I'm doing good, man. How are you? Great. Thank you. Um, I don't really know which way to go with this. We were just talking a little bit of mock draft in the end of the last segment and just kind of where things go. We finally have had the Pacers bringing in various bodies that would probably fit at number seven. I would assume at this juncture that it is a very, very high probability that the Pacers pick at seven. Crazier things can sort of happen. But now that we've started to see more and more guys through the workouts, is there one... And I don't really know what you can take away from information gleaned from the workouts, but is there one where you just sort of felt like there was an energy or a buzz around that that would be the ideal situation at seven if he were to fall there? Yeah, I, I think that if you look at who they brought in, uh, Jarris Walker, Taylor Hendricks, and Cam Whitmore are the most likely people to, to be there. Cam Whitmore, to me, I don't think he's going to fall to seven. I think he's going to be a top five pick, so – that's where I'm a little bit like, okay, I'm not really counting on him. And based on Jonathan Gavoni's uh, reporting today and his latest mock draft, it appears the Pacers have, you know, re- they're really interested in Walker and Hendricks. But he also threw in a Sard Thompson from the overtime elite. And that is someone that I think could be a nice fit uh, as well. It's a little bit of a project, a little bit of an unknown right there because the overtime elite is not something we're uh, as familiar with. But a lot of people like his game and the upside there. So, it's just interesting to me that his name was linked to the Pacers a few different times in this mock draft. So I, uh, they didn't have him mock there. I think it was Jairus Walker was who they mocked. But uh, it'll be interesting to see which way they go because I think those are probably the three to four names that I'm looking at for the Pacers. Name. Alex, with the uniqueness of the NBA, it's not unique to you and I, but for those that are following so many different sports, 
all at once, sometimes you can get lost in the weeds of, oh, well, free agency is here for the NFL. Oh, wait, it's after the draft for the NBA? That's weird. If, if you're not used to it, you and I obviously are. When you examine the back and forth of best available versus biggest need for the team with what they could potentially do at seven, how much of that at all has maybe changed your evaluation or made you think twice about what they might do because of what is available in this year's free agency class and the amount of cap space the Pacers have to work with? Yeah, so when it comes to the Pacers, like if you're looking at free agents, they don't usually land a lot of them. So I never really base what the Pacers should do in the draft or that kind of thing. Uh, I should I should rephrase that. I should rephrase that. I don't okay. mean to cut across you, Alex, but I, you and I both know that, right? That's not a big market. I just yeah. mean in terms of like the more value guys they could find to fill needs. We all know they need a wing that can defend, that can also be efficient from beyond the arc, but perhaps there's somebody really enticing within the draft. Take, for example, Anthony Black, who might not fit that exact role, but would be a best available type of guy that, okay, we can find a need for a good money value makes sense veteran in free agency. I'm not talking about, obviously, top level. You know what I mean? I'm not talking about Kyrie or anybody like that. No, and I, and I get what you're saying because there are guys that could be had, like just look at what Denver did last year by getting Bruce Brown, right? Somebody like that that could come in and you know make sense. Um, with this year's free agency class, I don't know if there's a lot that uh, really sticks out to me. I feel like the Pacers' best avenue to even add depth on their on their roster is through the trade market. Uh, there are some free, there are some uh, players in this draft that I actually do think would be very interesting in the later part of the draft that can maybe fit a role. But uh, once again, you don't really expect rookies to come and have a huge impact like we saw last year. Like that's an anomaly when you hear Andrew Nimhart and Benedict Mather and do what they did. So, yeah, I think with where the paces are at, they've got a crowded roster already. So finding guys on the edges in free agency is very possible. But I also don't think it's something that's going to like – I don't know what guys are out there that make a ton of sense. I mean, I've looked at some of the names on like the, the more the average role player type guys. And the biggest thing you don't want to get yourself into is overpaying for somebody that is going to end up not being able to produce with what they were able to do previously in the, in the year before someone that had a good playoff run that, you know, we don't want them to, we don't want the Pacers to overpay somebody uh, that had a good playoff run that it might just be a one-time thing. So I think, I hope I'm answering this question uh, to the best of my ability of what you're asking me. Uh, and I, I just feel like I can't think of anybody. Like, Trey Lyles is a name that I thought about with his run with Sacramento. Like, he had a really good year. But like, guys like that, I, I think you can kind of wait to get that. And you might be able to address those situations in the draft as well, considering all the picks that they have. Alex, when you look at all of the various smoke of rumors and reports out there, some teams, will it be veteran players they want to move? Is it acquisition of, of veteran talent to make some contenders better? Do the Pacers have what it takes to just sort of be the beneficiary of a team that's maybe either reaching or desperate to make a move out there? And if so, is it the draft picks themselves or current talent on the roster that would make them more likely to try and hop in and facilitate with a, a team that maybe is desperate to make whatever that move might be. I know that's a broad you know, hypothetical and things that are out there, but I'm just kind of curious as to what we know they would love to get out of some of the late first round picks. That makes a lot of sense, but it makes too much sense to say they're going to get incredible value out of it. I, I guess my question is if someone's really wanting to make a move, if Portland's really all in on trying to help Damian Lillard, which we were talking about, and the Pacers are sitting there at seven or with other people pieces I don't know like do they really have what could help both teams could there be a beneficial move forward for some desperate program out a desperate franchise out there if the Pacers were to hop in and help facilitate something yeah so I, I think the Pacers are in a spot right now where their roster is okay but I think people that are fans especially they do overvalue some of the players on this roster a little bit like Miles Turner is a very good center but he's not going to be able to get you pick number three with the Portland Trailblazers. I hate to break it to you, but it's going to take a bunch of stuff. And I think if the Pacers are to move up in this draft, they're going to have to get a third team involved. They just don't have the players that these teams want in terms of, hey, we're trying to win now. Let's poach some players off the Pacers. Well, it's like, yeah, you could do that, but you're not really, to me personally, you're not going to be able to get 
uh, a veteran on this team that's really going to help move the needle that much. Now, if you're talking about a team like maybe they want Matherin, like you're not you're not trading Matherin, you're not trading Halliburton. Uh, you could make a case for Nimhart either way. I could see it, but you know Nimhart, how much is he moving the needle for teams? He's probably not moving it at all. So I think for me personally, you know the Pacers are more in a situation where hey, if a team's desperate and they want to get involved as like a third team to try to help facilitate something and maybe pick up an additional asset later down the road or even in the draft class, that to me is the path that I could see them doing. But in terms of, like, moving up to, like, two or three, like, there's been rumors and smoke about the Pacers being really interested in moving up in the draft. I, I personally feel like they're going to have to trade. Uh, they're going to have to get another team involved to do that, uh, specifically with Portland, with Charlotte. And they're wanting to kind of take a couple steps back and continue to rebuild, they should just stay at two and not trade for more picks. So I, I honestly just don't really see a scenario where the Pacers have what it takes to – move up, but I think they could be a, a third team in there kind of helping facilitate a trade, similar to what they did a couple of years ago when the Brooklyn Nets acquired James Harden from Houston, and the Pacers were able to get in there and steal Karis Liberto there for that season. Alex Golden with us of Setting the Pace here on the Fan Midday Show. When you examine each prospect that's in that 5-7 to seven range, Alex, or you'll even go 5-8 to eight range for the sake of argument to expand that player pool, and you look at the idea of best available versus a clear need. Is there anybody in that range that, like, for example, I know I mentioned him once before already, but if they were to go someone like Anthony Black, who might be just as ball dominant as Tyrese Halliburton, is that something that could still work? Or are they better to go for somebody like, you mentioned Jairus Walker or Cam Whitmore, that would fill a clear need for what this team wants to be moving forward? Well, what I think is really nice is, like, the guys that are in their range also kind of fit a position of need. So you can kind of, uh, you know, kill two birds with one stone in that situation. For Anthony Black, it's interesting because I do really like Anthony Black as a prospect. I think he's a very talented guard. Uh, probably the second-best guard in, uh, in this draft. I mean, point guard-wise, if you're looking at someone like that. You can make the case for him in Thompson, but I think he could – I think those two are closer than people realize. Uh, for me, especially because of the shot from Amin Thompson. But I, I really do think that the reason why I'm not sold that they would take him, uh, uh, Anthony Black is because they haven't brought him in for an individual workout. He's not been linked to the team whatsoever. And the position's kind of already filled. I think he's a very similar type of player to an Andrew Nimhard uh, with his defensive upside and that kind of thing. So overall for me, I think that if I'm looking at best fit, and best player available, I would say the best fit to me right now is Taylor Hendricks. I know a lot of people have been hitting the table for Jarris Walker, and I might be in the minority here when I say Taylor Hendricks, but that's just who I believe in uh, for the Pacers as, as in terms of the best fit. And when I say best talent, this is me talking ceiling and, and what I think they could potentially become. Uh, I don't believe Cam Wilmore is going to be in that, in that range. I think he's going to go probably four or five. But I do believe in Asar Thompson. I really do think he's going to end up being a special player. And knowing that the Pacers were very intrigued last year with the idea of Shaden Sharp, and he was kind of an unknown prospect as well, I, I think that just getting guys in here with a lot of talent makes a lot of sense. So if Asar Thompson hits, like, yeah, you're talking potentially a top four guy in this draft if he hits the ceiling, and that's where I'm at with it. So I think he's the best talent, but I think that Hendricks is the best fit. And I think Walker is right there, just a smidge below Hendricks for me for best fit, but it's very, very close. Alex, I think we're so optimistic about next week for the Pacers because, like we've mentioned, there's a lot of fit at where they're going to be drafting because they have the resources to be flexible and make moves or at least just sort of redo or reshape their roster or, or build their roster through this sort of draft. And so because of that, I think, again, the probabilities are very high that they're going to have a successful week next week just because that's kind of how it plays out. So I, I want to go the other direction, and I don't mean to be the, the downer in all of this, but <laughs> give me a worst-case scenario draft night for the Pacers next week? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, maybe trading back with a team thinking you could get the guy you want and then someone goes ahead of him. Like, let's just say they, they convince themselves to trade back and then they're bringing this guy in to work out tomorrow, uh, Grady Dick. I, I think Grady Dick's actually a, a good offensive player and could be a nice fit with the Pacers. But if you're looking at number seven, he doesn't really scream to me like, this is a guy that's got a ton of potential. So, 
uh, not I shouldn't say ton of potential. I should say the ceiling's not maybe as high in terms of maybe reaching All Star level. I think he's going to be a great role player in the NBA, which there's nothing wrong with that. But at seven, you're probably aiming for a little bit higher than that. And at least I would be if I'm the Pacers because you're not in the spot very often. So even if they stayed at seven, if they somehow convince themselves that Grady Dick's the right pick at seven, I think that'd be a massive reach, and that would be a bad <laughs> uh, worst case scenario. And I also think if they don't find a way to trade those draft picks that they've got and move up into the you know back or the middle of the first round, where I know they got 26, 29, and 32, I think it would be very uh, disappointing if we didn't see them try to be aggressive and move up into the middle of the the draft. I've I've heard a lot of Laker fans put this out on social media, and they've actually contacted me in my uh, on my Twitter DMs saying, "Would the Pacers be willing to you know trade 26 and 29 for 17?" And I'm like, "Well, that makes a ton of sense to me. Yeah, I mean, why would the Lakers do it? But but the way the cap is, and it would allow the Lakers to get two first round picks with a minimum con- or you know minimal salary compared to what they're going to be." paying the guys they want to bring in. So it does make some sense for them to get some more depth on the roster. But that's kind of where I'm at. I just think if they don't find a way to consolidate their picks and if they ended up taking Grady Dick at seven, that would be the worst-case scenario. Alex, I realize we're playing the long game here, but I want to go back to Taylor Hendricks, the power forward slash center, depending on how you're utilizing him, out of UCF. Miles Turner might very well not be here by the time he's actually hitting where he wants to be uh, in, in terms of Taylor Hendricks. But why would a pick like that work if they were to continue Miles, let's say, for the next five years? Why would a pick like that work where, even though he's not quite as big as DeMontis Sabonis, he stretches the floor the same way, and that was a, a major headache and point of contention among the fan base? Why would that work, or is this a move that ultimately supplants Turner by the time Hendricks is at the height of his powers? No, I actually think that Taylor Hendricks is a better fit next to Miles than a Jarris Walker uh, because of the shooting ability. Taylor Hendricks shot about 39%, 40% from three last year, if I'm not mistaken. He's six foot nine, got a pretty long wingspan. And I think he can, yeah, he can play small ball five at times, but I also think he can guard threes as well as fours. So you don't have to worry about that. And, you know, one thing that we've talked about on the podcast a lot is, when the Pacers tried to play double bigs last year at the beginning of the season with Jalen Smith out there next to Miles, teams started realizing, okay, we can play our centers on Jalen Smith and put our fours on Miles Turner, which was the same case with Sabonis. And that's when you saw Turner not have as effective of games when he was guarded by fours because they're a little bit quicker and able to kind of, you know, take advantage of his strengths and and, then kind of limit those. So I think when you have Hendricks out there, his shooting ability I believe it's going to translate. Obviously, we don't know. But assuming it translates from what he showed in college to the NBA, that to me is where you're like, okay, we got to be honest with him. We know we can take guys off the dribble, too. And he's actually a decent passer. Didn't showcase it as much as a Jarvis Walker. But if you go look at some of the clubs, he is very smart. High basketball IQ makes the right play. So I think that there's a good fit there just because they can play off of each other. And – one thing that we like about both Hendricks and Walker is they can be secondary rim protectors to Miles Turner, which keeps him from having to be the one guy defending the rim. I think putting them next to each other, you got two guys that can actually protect the rim, where as Sabonis was not that guy. That was kind of the upside with Jalen Smith last year, was like you have the secondary rim protector, but the shooting did not translate. He was a, a, an abysmal shooter from outside. So uh, putting Neesmith in and him shooting well really helped the offense, but defensively it also hurt a little bit uh, in certain areas. So I think Hendricks can kind of come in and do that if he's able to hit that three-point shot and uh, just just continue to grow. I mean, when you're a rookie, you're coming in, it's going to be difficult to Alex Golden from Setting the Pace is with us. Alex, what current pacer is watching next Thursday with the most interest? In terms of <laughs> what, in terms of like just excitement to play with them, or maybe go, not go, on the go, go the most interest. So it could be in either direction. Like which pacer is the most excited, or not excited? Who, which pacer is the most invested in watching the draft next week? I mean, I say Tyrese Halliburton because this is you know who they're building him with in this future. If we're going positive route, if we're going negative route, which I'll do both here just to make it easy. I think Chris Duarte has got to be keeping his eye on things because if they draft another player to play in the same kind of position, uh, two in that three spot, well, that could mean the writing's on the wall for him with them already getting Nimhard and Matter in last year. So, 
you know, wish him nothing but the best, but that that would be probably the two I think are the most interested in what the Patriots do. Only eight days away, Alex. All of the answers to all of our questions will be answered eight <laughs> days from right now, right? Alex, favorite burger also, by the way, oh, yeah. while we're here. Are you an In-N-Out guy? You've been to the Ooh. West Coast for In-N-Out? I have been to In-N-Out. I've been to Five Guys. I've been to Shake Shack. Man, that's tough. I mean, it's, it's hard to beat a good Shake Shack burger. I really do like their burgers quite a bit. Um, five, five Guys is good, but I also feel like they're just so much. They're so greasy. I haven't had in and out probably in like six years, so it's it's been a while since I've tasted one of those. But I did enjoy it when I had it. But uh, I guess I'll go Shake Shack. That's that's the best way to go yeah. for this one. Different price point though. This is the same. We're back. We're, we're coming full circle here on this the the burger debate. Hey, Alex, uh, we'll all have a big old sack of greasy burgers next week when the Pacers draft a future Hall of Famer at seven. Thanks for your time. Yeah, it sounds good, man. Thank you. all have a good one. Thanks, Alex. Uh, it's Alex Golden. Yeah, of course. Like, I mean, it's again, it's the steakhouse reference of where's your best cut of meat going to come from. Of course, it's going to be Shake Shack.